You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. This is something that I personally have to be careful about. And I, I got to tell you something, I was guilty of this very thing early on in my ministry. You know, as the church was growing, as we first began the ministry uh, here in New York, I would size people up on the basis of the way that they look, which is absolutely wrong because God looks not on the outward things or the outward appearances, but he rather looks upon the heart. We have a dangerous tendency to judge people by their external appearance, whether it's a potential friend, employee, or employer, or date. Most of us have found out the hard way that good looks doesn't mean a person possesses the characteristics that are desirable in the role we've given them. As Pastor Mike will warn in today's message, this happens in ministry just as much as in any other area. As followers of Christ, we need to shift our focus to the inner qualities and away from the external. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 9 as he continues his message, Turned Into Another Man. Let's pick up now verses 14 through 16. Then Saul's uncle, finally now Saul goes back home, said to him and his servant, where did you go? And so he said, to look for the donkeys. And when we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel to inquire of him, that he, we might find uh, help uh, to find the donkeys. And Saul's uncle said, oh, wow. Obviously, he knew about Saul. And he said, tell me, please, what Samuel, uh, rather, he knew about Samuel. And he said, tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. And so Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom, that is his being anointed as the new king, the first king over Israel, notice, he did not tell him what Samuel had uh, said. Now, this is, this is kind of uh, interesting. So, uh, as I mentioned, instead of going uh, right home, he went to worship, and then finally he, he, he winds up back at his father's house. And when Saul arrived home, he was probably, from what we gather here, from what we've just read, he was probably received with mixed feelings. Those feelings were of relief because he had gotten home. Remember, his father was kind of wondering about uh, what had happened to his son. And those of you who are parents, you can probably relate to that. Your kids don't show up on time, 
or you're wondering about where they are, what they're doing, what they've gotten involved with. And so uh, mixed feelings, uh, that of relief, also Thanksgiving because of now his safe return. But notice there's no mention of anything Kish said, that is Saul's father. There's nothing mentioned concerning Kish and what he said to Saul upon his return. Now, I don't know, and this is open to interpretation, but let me suggest that this has led some to believe that Kish was hardened in his resistance to spiritual things. Remember, prior to Saul's experience with Samuel, he didn't have an inclination for spiritual things. Neither did any member of his family. And so maybe his dad was embarrassed by his son's new associations with those who had been worshiping the Lord. I don't know, but many people believe that. But anyway, as we read on here, he is interviewed by one of his uncles. Notice there in verses 14 through 16. Also notice in regard to the matter of the kingdom, Saul chose to remain silent. I guess he did not feel it necessary to satisfy his uncle's curiosity. And, uh, you know, we need to be very careful about the things that we offer to other people, right? And uh, we're not to put, what, what did Jesus say, pearls before swine? You know, that kind of a thing. We need to be very careful about the things that we share with other people. We need to guard our words. And such was the case with Saul. And I, I think that this is just a, another indication of the wisdom now, uh, the result of his being anointed by uh, God. Well, anyway, in verse 17, Samuel, we are told, sends messengers throughout the tribes, all of the 12 tribes, to summon the people to meet before God at Mizpah. And it would be there that uh, Samuel would publicly anoint or announce that Saul was the, going to be the first king over Israel. And by the way, this location there at Mizpah was the site of national convocation some 25 years earlier. It was there, remember, according to 1 Samuel in chapter 7, remember in one of our previous studies, 25 years earlier, it was there Israel had renewed their covenant with God, which is recorded first there in 1 Samuel in chapter 7. And we dealt with that in one of our previous uh, studies. So it was the same site where God would lead in the choice of Israel's uh, first uh, king. And so while the people were gathering, Samuel met with Saul at Gilgal, which is suggested for us in verse 8. Let's for a moment go back to verse 8. Notice there, uh, as Samuel is instructing Saul, he says, You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should uh, do. Okay, so um, these sacrifices that are being referred to here in verse 8 were a matter between the two of them, that is Samuel and Saul, sacrifices that were be made unto God, and they served the purpose of renewing Saul's commitment to the Lord. Now Samuel and Saul probably took different 
routes up to Mispa. Okay, so now they're traveling from Gilgal, where they just offer those sacrifices, up to Mispa, where Saul is going to be publicly acknowledged as Israel's first king. And wanting to avoid any appearances or charge of collusion or politically wrangling, they took separate roads that led to uh, Mizpah. Even though all was in God's will, they knew, and this was very wise, people make unwarranted assumptions. So what do we take away from this? Hey, listen, we need to be very careful of our appearances, especially as Christians. You know, people are watching you. Uh, we are recommended in the scriptures as living epistles. And there are people on the outside of the church watching us, the things that we do, probably even more importantly, the things that we don't do. They may never open up a Bible. They may never read a verse uh, from a chapter in the Bible. But guess what? They're looking at you. They're watching you. And that's the reason why we are referred to as living epistles. We're that book. We're that chapter. We're that verse. And uh, people are coming to the conclusions that they come to concerning Christianity by the way that we live our lives and our appearances. So as Christians, we need to be very careful about our appearances. We don't want to you know, provide any excuses for people to think, oh, well, I thought you know, Christianity you know, might be where it's at, but I guess I was wrong. We don't want people to come to the wrong conclusions about Christianity or the Christ that we know and the Christ that we uh, serve. We don't want to hinder the work of the Lord. Well, once at Mizpah, Samuel reminded the assembly what their leaders had determined to do. Remember, they had cried out for a king to rule over them. Let's go on, verses 18 and 19. So as they're gathered together, Samuel addresses the crowd, and he said to the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt. So he's giving them a brief history lesson. I brought uh, you out from the hand of the Egyptians, from their bondage in Egypt, and from the hand of all kingdoms, all of their enemies, and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God, who himself saved you from all your adversaries and your tribulations, and you have said to him, and this was the cry of the people, no, set a king over us. And then Samuel then went through the process of determining by lot who would be their king, allowing the personal participation of all of the different 12 tribes. Okay, let's pick up now the latter part of verse 19 through verse 21. The latter part of verse 19. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. How? By lot. I'm going to go through that process for you in just a moment. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen, and Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, they, he could not be uh, found. Okay, so, uh, public participation. 
Now, let me outline for you this procedure. A leader of each of the 12 tribes stepped forward. They wrote the name of their tribe on a stone, which was then placed in an urn. The container was then shaken until the stones, but one, fell out. The remaining stone indicated the tribe from which the new kingdom would come. Guess what? The stone fell on the tribe of Benjamin. Then the different heads of the clans of Benjamin stepped forward and wrote their names on the stones. And then the procedure was repeated. And the clan of Matri was chosen. Now Matri was a family of the tribe of Benjamin to which Saul belonged. And then the heads of the different households of the clan repeated the process. And the household of Kish was singled out. And when a selection was made from among his sons, guess what? The lot fell upon Saul. And so anyway, the selection was conducted in an open, public manner. So it couldn't be refuted. And anyway, this was the way God had already chosen his king. But anyway, this was the way that God chose to reveal his will. But notice, according to our text, we are told Saul, however, is nowhere to be found. Okay, let's pick up uh, once again in the latter part of verse 21 through verses 24. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further. Has the man come here yet? Referring to Saul. And the Lord answered, There he is, hidden among the equipment. And so they ran and they brought him, Saul, from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all of the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? That there is no one like him among all the people. And so all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Now, Saul already knew the result of the selection process even before this whole thing played out. And yet, he had concealed himself from them. Now that raises certain questions. Some people have suggested that it was at this point that Saul shrank from his duties and his responsibilities that he really didn't want to have anything to do with being the first king over Israel. But you know what? Then other people have suggested, and I kind of lean towards uh, this explanation. I mean, think about it. In one way, you have to commend Saul. He was not filled with a consuming ambition. He was humble. He was modest. He was not pursuing uh, greatness. And this was probably one of the reasons why God had chosen him, selected him. Well, anyway, verse 22, they were not able to find their new king. So what did they do? Well, they probably appealed to the high priest. And therefore, the high priest consulted the Urim and the Thummim, which was a set of two objects used by the high priest to answer certain questions or to reveal the will of God. Anyway, Saul's hiding place is revealed. Certain representatives of the assembly ran to where the baggage was, according to verse 22, and they found the reluctant monarch. 
And when he is led before the people, they were delighted by his appearance. He was tall. He was good looking. He was impressive. Oh boy, be careful about this. We should never judge or appoint people to positions by external things. Oh, I have to be very careful about this myself. You know, we size up people for different ministry uh, jobs or whatever. And uh, rather than on the basis of the reality of their relationship with God, this is something that I personally have to be very careful about. And I, I got to tell you something, I was guilty of this very thing early on in my ministry. You know, as the church was growing, as we first began the ministry uh, here in New York, I would size people up on the basis of the way that they looked, which is absolutely wrong, because God looks not on the outward things or the outward appearances, but he rather looks upon the heart, right? And, uh, and so I would like, uh, you know, I would, who's going to lead the men's ministry? Okay, so let's get someone who's, you know, looks like a, a football player, a middle linebacker. You know, guys can really get behind someone who looks like that. So I would elect people for certain and different positions within the church on outward appearance. But their ministries fail, you know. And so anyway, God looks upon the heart. We should never put people in certain positions on the basis of outward appearance. We should never judge by externals. Well, anyway, Samuel cries out, do you see what God, and later on, by the way, we'll see how this whole thing plays out, in fact, we are told later on here in 1 Samuel that God even repented over uh, anointing Saul as the first king over Israel and was to replace him with someone who was a man after his own heart, which guess who that was? It was David, right? And, uh, but we'll get to that in one of our uh, future uh, studies. But anyway, Samuel cries out, Do you see what God has chosen? And the people respond, Long live the king. And then Samuel, according to verse 25, went over the constitution of the monarchy, you know, uh, you know warning them, warning the king about the way that he was to uh, exercise his administration over God's people, and then he dismissed the uh, crowd. And then finally, this morning, verses 26 and 27, and Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men... Take note of that. You might even want to underline that. Valiant men, we'll come back to that in just a moment, went with him whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? Referring to Saul. And so they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. Okay, with Samuel having made very clear the way in which kings are inclined to abuse their power, Saul intended to do the right thing, to do what was right. And then notice in verse 26, I had mentioned, we'll come back to this, that those words, valiant men. God surrounded Saul with valiant men. And in this, I think of all of the wonderful possibilities, the great beginnings that Saul had, all of the possibilities. He moved men across his path, surrounded him with men, also I'm sure women, whose hearts were knit together with Saul. And they would serve as his assistants, his captains, his bodyguards, 
his confidence, his counselors. Oh God, surround us with valiant men and women who will assist us in doing all that God has called us to do here at Harvest Christian Fellowship, who will take on those roles of responsibility in leading the different ministries uh, here. But then finally, unfortunately, notice there in verse 27, we are introduced to the opposition party, and there's always an opposition party, unfortunately, and this is generally the case when someone is suddenly elevated from among the ranks. There are those who ignore the evident ways that God makes known his will, and they opposed Israel's new king. They refused to submit to someone from this worthless tribe, Benjamin. They thought someone rather from the tribes of Ephraim, which was one of the warrior tribes, or the tribe of Judah, which is one of the royal tribes, that those would have been better choices. But notice the way that Saul responds. He's not discouraged. He's not miffed by their arrogance. He wisely held his peace. And he rested confidently in what God was doing in and what was about to do through his life. Why? Because knowing that God had been at work behind the scenes to accomplish his purpose in his life, our lives as well. You see, now Saul had come to the realization that he was under God's control. Not only presently, but all the while, even from his mother's womb. All the while. And everything throughout his life was working towards God's will being revealed through him. You know, let me close with this. You know, and this is the thing more than anything else I think that we should take away from what we've been talking about here in chapter uh, 10. And this applies to you and to me. This is not just a history lesson that I'm sharing with you this morning. We want to find the personal and practical application of all that we've been talking about uh, this morning. You know, God has called you. God has anointed you. And, and the anointing obviously has changed. I don't think that we have any kings of nations amongst us uh, this morning. But nevertheless, whatever God has called you to is just as important as was Saul's calling and Saul's anointing. And so from these incidents, we should take great encouragement because we realize how intimately involved the Lord is in all that happens to us. As believers, we are exhorted to begin each day by committing ourselves to Him. We can trust Him to, choreo uh, to, choreo to choreograph the events of our lives, to lead us as a shepherd and show us the way because he tenderly cares for us and no circumstances is unimportant to him. Any circumstance that's presently being worked out in and through our lives. In my father's house There's a place for me In my father's house Where I long the book of 1 Samuel details how the nation of Israel transitioned from the era of having judges to a time period where they demanded to have a king rule over them. The pages that then followed include the rise and fall of King Saul, as well as introducing a person in the Bible that becomes one of the greatest men of faith, David. 
1 Samuel's book of action and adventure, but also a reminder of God's swift consequences or judgment when people fall away from Him. So often you might wonder how a passage relates to you today, but there's always something to apply from God's Word, and this book is no exception. Take the life lessons in this book and keep them in mind as you're faced with decisions to make and directions to go. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit harvestnyc.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us. You can join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find out more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Make plans to join us on Thursdays, too. We're meeting virtually to jump back into the Word midweek and worship the Lord. That starts at 7.30 p.m. online at harvestnyc.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for more from 1 Samuel right here on In My Father's House. Oh